Hello and welcome to the Top Shelf Hockey Cast, where we talk hockey, mostly Islanders hockey. I'm David Tuckman. Joining me as always, Phil Farber, Phil's Facts on Twitter, and BD Galloff, who is BD Galloff on Twitter. I am at Tuck on Sports. Gentlemen, coming off this monstrous road trip, 13 games are uh, are done. We're 5-6-2, 12 points. How are we feeling, BD? Unfortunately, it's feeling exactly what I was concerned about um, back over the summer um, with not replacing certain players, certain things left kind of questionable. And then you were hoping that, you know, somehow they had the inside track that, you know, Wallstrom is ready for the top line. Uh, Dobson is ready for top four and, and just the wheels have completely come off so quickly so it's you know that's really what i'm seeing it's like almost right out the right out the gate that was glued together and just fell flat and still here we are at 13 games and still trying to pick up the pieces phil yeah not great either i mean think about where this team was a little over a week ago they were five two and two they had rebounded from an 0-2 start. They were on the back of the back end of a three and four in Minnesota in a pretty even game. I mean, the Islanders went up first. Minnesota came back right when Minnesota came back. Barzell let a, you know, a charge up ice and the Islanders got the lead back real quick. And going into that third period, you felt pretty good about their chances of extending the point streak from seven to eight. And since that third period in Minnesota, where you could have made excuses for it being a three and four, three different cities, a couple different time zones, a couple different countries, uh, but they've never really rebounded since then. They went into New Jersey where it was mostly a home crowd. The only thing not home about it was the fact that their jerseys were white and they didn't have last change and they got shut out for nothing. Um, the Islanders outshot them, but never really anything particularly dangerous on Wedgwood, maybe one or, or, or I'm sorry, Blackwood, maybe one or two really high danger opportunities. And then completely and totally embarrassed in Tampa in a, in a revenge match, so to speak. And, and then tonight in Florida, losing 6-1, just not a great feeling heading home, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, for sure. Now, I will give my take really quick and then we'll move on. I, I will tell you that the, the sky was falling after we lost our first two games and were outscored 11-4. to And I said, okay, let, let's relax. And then suddenly, you know, we beat Chicago and we lose to Columbus, but we beat Arizona and we go on this kind of like, you know, point streak. And everybody was like, you know, you saw a bunch of, you know, Islander, Twitter, going, oh, see, we're fine. And I was like, oh, okay, let, let, let's not go so fast. Um, I, I didn't think we were as bad as we looked. I don't think we were as bad as we looked the first two games. And I certainly don't think we were as good as, you know, the points were indicating. I mean, Arizona is basically an AHL team. Vegas was without Mark Stone, William Carlson, Patcheretti. Uh, you know, that team was, was struggling on its own. Uh, they Chicago. Had Carlson, by the way. They Did they have Carlson William Carlson for that game? They had Carlson, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Without thought, Stone and Patcheretti, but they had Carlson. Okay, I thought he was out. Okay, nonetheless, though, obviously a depleted roster, and you could argue that Vegas doesn't have, you know, a ton of depth anyway. So when they lose Patcheretti and Stone, it's a very different team. They beat Chicago. Okay, whatever. You know, they, they lost to Nashville in a shootout. Um, I think this is, 
but I'll, I'll offer a positive side to this. I don't think it's nearly as bad as it feels right now. Coming off a you know four nothing loss, a, a domination last night by Tampa Bay, and then tonight's you know six one loss. I, I don't think it's as bad as I, I saw some positives in, in tonight's game in particular. I thought a day off for Dobson. I thought he looked better tonight. Uh, I think Barzal has played pretty well. Um, I, I like the way he, he seems to be battling defensively. Yeah, he's going to make some mistakes here and there, but he's still setting players up. I, I thought there were some positives that came out of today. Uh, I mean, Palmari, Palmari hits a post, scores a goal. Barzal hits a post. Um, I mean, do we lose this game 92% of the time? Absolutely. Uh, but I do think that it's probably a little bit closer than normal. I think over the last two years, if you were to take stretches of our, se- of our regular seasons, I-, I think you could probably find a 13-game stretch over almost any of the Trots era seasons and be like, yeah, we sucked in this 13-game era too. Now, where I'm a little bit concerned, and I know you guys are as well, is what's going to happen over the next six games. You know, Calgary, Toronto, Rangers, Pittsburgh, Rangers again, Philadelphia. You know, not, a, not an easy game in that mix. And... You know, could we go two and four over the next six is my is my concern. It's a fair concern. Um, this is a team with with not a lot of confidence. There's a lot of missing pieces. There's a lot of juggling. There, you know, everything's being swapped in and swapped out. You know, uh, complaints about Wallstrom on on mistakes. Meanwhile. You know, the entire team seems to be, you know, completely out of sorts. And they really need to, you know, it, it in, in some ways, uh, like Pittsburgh and the Rangers and those teams can kind of help ground them because they're playing teams that they're not as familiar with. Even, you know, let's throw out the Tampa because that's just uh, a nightmare. But, um, you know, they're playing teams they hadn't seen a whole lot of. Yeah, BD, I'm going to stop you there because I, I, that's, I mean, over the last three games where they've really been embarrassed, I mean, we're talking about being outscored 14-2. Uh, to two. It's New Jersey, Tampa, and Florida. Three teams they, you know, really are very familiar with. So, yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I, I, that's a hard kind of, I mean, but I, I'm actually in the camp of, I don't think the sky is falling. I think we're going to be okay. I mean, Anders Lee has not played particularly well. There's definitely some issues, and I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, we look at this lineup. We're going, there's no Pullock, and we're going to get to that in a second. Um, you know, I mean, Kiefer Bellows is in the lineup. There's some mixing pieces. I don't know. I mean, Phil, do you think the sky is falling? I, I'm, I'm going to hold off on saying the sky is falling until I see a couple home games. I mean, I, I expect that they're going to come out Saturday night with four days rest, finally opening the new building in front of, 18 or so thousand maniacs and, and hopefully against the pretty tough flames team at, at the very least show me why this team should be taken seriously. I mean, you know, if you want, if you want to go to the positives from, from tonight's game in particular, I think the, the one thing that they started off with and they got right finally, and this could have been a function of just Bailey not being there, but they had an early power play and the power play looked pretty good. They set that up properly. This is the first time, and I've been I've been screaming for this. This is the first time I've seen them set up with Palmieri over the right dot. And what does he do? He gets a really good shot, rings it off the bar. But but that's really the way you want to have it set up. I mean, in Tampa, they just had 
two completely dysfunctional units. They had Barzal on his right side, you know, where he's got no angle to shoot. You've got Aho at the top trying to feed Bailey for one-timers from the right dot when he's a left-handed shot. There was just really nothing working there. So if you want to go to positives, I think the fact that it looks like they, they're making an attempt to fix the power play based on the one power play we saw tonight, I think Palmieri getting the monkey off his back is pretty huge, right? Just being able to see that he could find the back of the net. Everyone was throwing out the, the Palmieri expected goal stats. And yes, he has more expected goals than he has actual goals. But for him to be able to find the back of the net, even in a, a 5 nothing game, probably means something for him on, on a pretty nice shot. Um, but listen, I, I guess, you know, I, I will reserve judgment on whether or not this guy is falling until... Let's let's say Sunday night after I've seen them play Toronto, um, and and then we'll have a pretty good idea as to where this team is after getting a couple home games in because then the excuses will be will be out the door. Yeah, I mean I am going to reserve it for even longer than that because we don't know how long Ryan Pollock is out, and if Ryan Pollock is out for the game versus Calgary and he's out for the game against Toronto, then this is not the team that we're going to war with, so to speak. So I I, I just don't know what to expect. I mean Calgary and Toronto are two very good teams. And if Pollock is not in the lineup, I don't know if I'm going to be happy with what I'm seeing anyway. Yeah, I mean, listen, what, what if Pollock's out for six weeks? Then, I mean, then we have a whole separate issue. But, you know, I, ideally, you don't want Pollock to miss any time. What's a positive that could come out from this? Well, we saw when Hickey went down in Colorado three years ago, all of a sudden you had the birth of Devontae's, right? And he fit right into the lineup. So, you know, if if there's going to be a retroactive placement of Pollock on IR, that is almost undoubtedly going to signal the call up for Robin Salo. Um, and I don't think they're going to pull Robin Salo out of Bridgeport to sit in the press box. I think he's going to go right into the lineup. Uh, because I, and I on, assume the Pollock thing is related to the shot he took on the inside of his foot. It, I think it was on his leg. I mean, was he, it his leg? Could, I thought it was his inside of his skate. But either he, way, wherever wherever it was, he he might have broken something. Yeah, I mean, no, without a doubt. If there's a broken bone in there, that could be four to six weeks. And then you're talking about a dozen or so games. So, you know, if you want to look for a silver lining there, perhaps you might be able to get a look at Robin Solo and maybe he makes a case for, for becoming a, a permanent solution on the left side down the line. As it was, Ryan Pollock wasn't really doing anything other than holding Chara's head above water. It's not like he was scoring goals. He wasn't making any plays in the offensive zone. He was there strictly to make sure that the Pollock-Chara pairing wasn't drowning in the way that the Chara Dobson pairing was drowning for the first three games. Talk and about a drowning, that... drowning pairing tonight, BD. Uh, how about the uh, the Chara Aho pairing, and then coupled with the fourth line being out there? I don't think I have seen Sezikis play a worse game. He's clearly still sick because I don't think I've seen him play a worse game than he did tonight. That fourth line, what were they? Minus four. And every time I looked up, it was a minus three and, and, and Chara and, and Aho. I mean, that was just, what were they doing? Well, the only thing I can take away from Aho is getting minutes um, because everything else has just been basically a nightmare. And, and, and you're right. Uh, Pulak is basically keep, is a band-aid, was being a band-aid to, to offset deficiencies. And, you know, hopefully he's not injured, but if he is, it will get um, jostle things more and give those kids time to really push out the veterans that may not really belong there. 
So I mean, as know. long as as long as we can keep our head above water. I mean, we talk about a very oh. tough metro. You know, uh, I I am I am like I said I am I am in the camp of I think everything is okay. I think we're going to be fine. I think Lou is going to figure it out. I do trust Lou. I do trust Barry to figure this out. You know, but at the end of the day, you know, you look at the, the Eastern Conference and you look at the metro, and you know, the Islanders are staring up at a, a lot of teams who have a lot of points. So. We know this Islanders team can can rally and, and win 11 straight. They've done it before. But they might need a streak like that just to make the playoffs this year. They certainly would. And the, the, the only thing that, you know, gives me pause on, you know, of panic mode is if we remove the games that Soror can play as an elite level, what is this team's record? Yeah, but BD, we, that's, but that's part of this team's that's what we build our teams on. We built the team. I mean, we've had elite goaltending throughout Trotz's era here. We count yeah. on that. That's part yeah. of the team. So, I mean, we've counted on Var- – I mean, we, we, we were counting, and I know I, I know there's some Ranger fans out there that think Georgiev and Shesterkin is the number one pair, uh, goaltending tandem in the league, but it's clearly not. Oh, no, it's, it's certainly not. And, and, you know, we benefit, and that – is how the trot system pivots. It is a um, goalie and defense first setup. But, um, you know, sometimes what gives me pause is you didn't have that streak by Sorkin. And yet you're right. You know, uh, Varley, we've seen go on absolute tears and offset some pretty shitty play and, and, and pulled out some games, but, I guess in the negative light of things, I wonder if 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 that was just maybe just above average, as opposed to where he was playing lights out. You know what would be the record then? So it just you know makes me a little bit worried. And and the and the real and you hope that the kids start to fill fill the roles and take opportunities but you know until that veteran defenseman comes in as a replacement or and uh, a goal scorer for the top line is this team the same team on the cusp phil let me ask you that then so in terms of the veteran defenseman that you know we've all we've all guessed is coming at some point. I, I think a week ago we thought, well, as long as they're racking up points, Lou has time. And Lou has always said, when you have time, you use it. Does this give Lou a little bit more urgency to go out and get somebody? Well, first I, I wanted to say initially you had it right before it was the the fourth line was a minus four tonight. Um, okay. I, I did not realize they were on for that six goal, but um, I think a lot. That, and of by the way, that was Clutterbuck. It was Aho who lost the battle on the boards, and then Clutterbuck who lost the puck, and Vitrano came in. Yeah, exactly. I wonder if Aho would be good as a winger. By the way, I mean, he makes some nifty moves in the offensive zone. It's just in the defensive zone, he just gets pushed off the puck so easily. He's got no physicality. You would be. I mean, people were pointing to the fact that oh, he's he's looked great from mid second period on on and. Well, you have to account for the fact that there are scoring effects at play here. And in a 2-2 game, Florida doesn't look like this. I mean, they clearly took their foot off the gas um, midway through the second period and, and, you know, kind of let the Islanders 
not hang around because it was never particularly close, but um, it's, it's a different, it's a different kind of feel when it's a two, two game and all, all the, you know, all, all everything's on the table, but um, to the original question, I, I think one, it's going to depend on, on what the prognosis is on Pollock. Um, if, if you're looking at an extended injury here, if you're looking at six weeks, I think that might get him to accelerate his timeline. Um, something they've done uh, since the last time we recorded is, is cleared a hefty amount of cap space. Uh, they were able to get rid of Boychuk for nothing. Um, Leo Komarov comes off the books almost entirely, minus the amount of time he spent on the active roster. So they're looking at a pretty healthy amount of cap space right now. And if they need to make the move, as we've seen from the last two trade deadlines, it takes time for these pieces to get integrated into the Barry system. And we're seeing it now with Parisi. We saw it with Pajo when he initially came over. We saw it with Palmieri when he first came over. It takes time for these people to adapt to what the Barry Trotz program is. So the sooner they make a move, if they do intend to make a move, the better. I've been of the opinion the entire time that before making a trade for, whether it be a Giordano, a ghost of spear, whoever you want to trade for as that mobile D partner for Mayfield, that you do ideally want to get a look at Salo. And, and we just might. So let's see them play a couple home games. Let's see what the defensive alignment looks like. And I think Lou will be informed at some point within the next week and a half as to what he needs to do here. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting on defense because whether Ryan Pollock is out just one game or even just a week or possibly longer, it, it does kind of force Trotz to play other players. And Trotz and Lou will have a better gauge, at least you hope, of what we have and what we need going forward. Let's turn our attention to offense. Um, Oliver Wallstrom moved down to the fourth line just for a, for a game maybe sending him a message, uh, Barry sending him a message, but he's back up. Um, he had some some bite tonight. Um, but let's talk about Josh Bailey for a moment. I think all of us have been somewhat critical of Bailey as of late. Tonight he is out because of a COVID protocol. Phil? Yeah. I mean, I mean, first, first to touch on Wallstrom, <laughs> <laughs> to touch on Wallstrom really briefly, I think I know what Barry's talking about. And I think it, you know, it has to do with the fact that he is of the worst puck handlers I have ever seen. Um, he will not chip and chase the puck. He will not dump it in. I think on like three or four occasions tonight, he kind of comes into the zone, tries to stick handle and immediately loses possession. And then the puck's going the other way. And I really think that's the, the detail piece that drives Barry crazy because watching it, it could drive you crazy. He needs to be in the lineup. He is their best goal scoring threat. So he absolutely needs to be there with Bailey. I, I mean, it might be controversial to say this, but I am skeptical as to what this COVID protocol is for him. I mean, he was playing last night. He was at, you know, media availability. He was at the morning skate today. And only last second do you hear that Bailey's in COVID protocol. Now, again, who could he have come into contact with? Did he have a, a false positive or whatever it was? Maybe it was just a very gracious way of them telling him that he's going to be a healthy scratch because Barry this morning was talking about how even with some of the vets, he's, he's starting to, to lose his patience with. But he has been objectively the least productive and the least meaningful forward for this group this entire season. And, and, strength, by the way, and Barry knows it. I mean, it's clear Barry knows it because he's moved him from the second line to the first line to the third line. 
And he's the one that they keep moving. Getting back to Wallstrom for a second, I was thinking the same exact thing. Wallstrom is at the point of his career where he wants to puck on his stick because he knows I'm the goal scorer. And I, and I get that. But you can see, I, you can almost feel like Barry's going, okay, listen, throw the puck in. Let them, the puck will come back to you. Because right now he is trying to do too much stick handling at the opposing blue line, losing the puck, and that's just not an Islander way of playing hockey. That's not going to be acceptable. I don't care how many goals you score, that's not acceptable. And I don't think Barry is going to put him out of the lineup because he knows. <laughs> we're scoring, we're sc- we scored two goals in the last three games. We need him in the lineup. He just uh, shoots too much. But yeah, I- I'm with you 100%. Lou and Barry are, uh, you know, they're very veteran friendly. We know that. They're going to treat their players right. And you have to wonder, is this their, you know, very, you know, PC way of giving Bailey a break? What do you think, BD? Well, uh, two things. Um, one is, um, look at Wallstrom, and I, it reminds me of uh, Bull Durham and Nuke LaRouche. Yeah. Which was uh, Tim Robbins' character, uh, always wanted to bring the heat. And I think that Wallstrom gets a, a little overexcited, overexuberant. And that's the one thing that Barry hates is when they make things that they should have learned and they keep doing it over and over. That's the thing that always gets. When I was speaking to um, some Predator uh, writers to get a a sense on how Barry works with younger players to get a little better read on that um, with Wallstrom uh, coming into this year. You know, they it, that that was the thing that really gets his goat when they when those same things that they've gone over consistently come up again, and I think that's what's that's driving Barry a little bit nuts. Um, as for Bailey, you know, the one thing I wish I've had time to um, go through and then talk to somebody about is to analyze the statement if he's the worst forward on the team. Um, because I like to get a secondary take than, than me going through it. Um, that said, there's not a whole lot of things working. There's, you have so many different issues on offense, including the inability to, to transition back to offense seems to be uh, stalled. There's so many other items coming into play. Now, is Bailey playing well? No. It, and he's a notoriously slow starter. He's very streaky. And there's also a lot of other things out of sorts. So I can't sit there and I haven't really had the time to go through and hit those statements to see if, you know, when I'm, you know, being a little bit more, maybe a little apologism for Bailey, who gets maligned often and usually produces, but here not really producing, but often not, not, not really, not really, by the way, not really is, is, is very generous. I put a tweet out there and I thought, and I said, the Bailey haters have been wrong for years because this guy was actually a very, very good hockey player for a few years there. I mean, I think Islander fans always expected more because he was the ninth overall pick. And, you know, they wanted him to be a superstar. And he just, he wasn't, he's never a superstar. He was never, but he was always a very good hockey player. And there were a few years there when he was 26, 27, 28, where he was a very, very good hockey player. 
he has been declining, and I'm just a little bit concerned now. And we talked about this the last time. I said, listen, I, I'm hopeful that Bailey turns it around. I know he's a slow starter, but at 32 years old, you have to wonder – He's still an incredibly smart player. His, his hockey IQ is off the charts. But has he lost the physical part of the game to, you know, to keep up? Well, the one thing I would say is one of the things is when a player gets older and they start to go and fall in performance, usually it's the passer that's able to have more longevity. So, you know... And, and let's also go to here's a player who's been a lifer who was dangled loosely this summer and probably thought he was going somewhere. So there's a lot of things and, and add the defensive woes, add in the offensive issues. There's a lot of shit going on. And I'm trying to try to piece together what is a complex situation with Bailey because it shouldn't be that far of a pitch downward for shouldn't that be. type of player. Shouldn't be. It shouldn't Can be. it be? It could. But um, but you bring so, up a good you bring up a good point, BD. Because I think hockey today more than ever it is a it's a five man unit up and down the ice, and you could even argue that the goalies are part of the breakout. So you could even argue six man unit, and it's up and down the ice and. You know, we break up Pelic and Pollock, so we get rid of, uh, you know, one of probably the best offen- defensive uh, pairing in the league, which helps the offense. You know, we don't have any, none of our defensive pairings were really helping offensively. So you've got that issue. So we don't really have a five man cohesive unit anymore. And then, yeah, if Bailey's having a slow start, if Bailey is, for lack of better words, butthurt still. Over, over being dangled to Seattle? Who knows? I don't know what the answer is. But I found it interesting that he sat today just coming off of what Trot said. And you have to wonder, is it COVID protocol or is there more to it, right, Phil? Seems a little yeah. coincidental. No, for sure. I mean, listen, the, the, the two things that were not consistent with the plan going into the season were, number one, breaking up the Pollock Pollock pair where, I mean, they had a 64% goal share act not expected. They had an actual 64% on ice goal share at five on five last year. I mean, we've been seeing drop passes going to the blue line to absolutely no one because Char is busy trying to leg up to get into the zone. And, and by the time he gets there, the, the puck comes out of the zone and we've seen issues like that with green and we and saw with green last night. Back. We saw with green last night, just, yeah. just really not being able to not being able to hold the line and, and keep possession and keep the puck moving around and wearing down the other team. It's just been a lot of one and done. And the other thing was the Bouvillier Bailey Nelson line has been a pretty consistent and steady line. I mean, in the playoffs, we saw when they were getting eaten up in Boston, when when Cassidy had the luxury of of line matching, um, we saw that they made a little bit of a switch with putting Pajot on that line and swapping out with Nelson. But, you know, that was a, a pretty foundational piece of what this team was going to be. And they were going to have Palmieri on the top line. And by game three, they kind of just had to scrap it. So between those two things, line juggling, I can hear a case of, you know, I think Tuckman, you mentioned it before in, in one of our earlier shows where it's just hard for a team that's been to back-to-back ECFs to kind of get up for this kind of schedule and, and play their asses off, off every night when they've played so much really, really meaningful hockey. And maybe there is a certain element of that at play, and they'll kick it into high gear at game 20 or so. Um, 
but right now they have they have a, a an issue on the back end and they have a, a bit of a Josh Bailey problem. Yeah, BD, I mean, you can just touch on this for really quick for a second. I I know you've been more of a Josh Bailey supporter and but I just to go off of what Phil was saying, I do think it's really it has to be somewhat uh startling or jarring, I should say, for Barry because you know, you, you look at the locker room and you go, okay, I've got Parisi. I've got to try to figure out, okay, what's going to fit in? Who's going to be my first line right wing? Who's going to be my third line right wing? But he probably came in thinking, okay, I got the fourth line set. I've got my second line set. And I've got the number one defensive pairing in the league. I, I've got those things. And I've got a great tandem in goal. And because of reasons that we all know about, that's all been thrown up in the air. Well, in terms of everything's up in the air and there's nothing that they've been able to rely on. And, you know, where does one, you know, even if one solidifies, you still have issues in other places. It's like two things coming to bear offensively and defensively at the same time. At the same time, we're still waiting for Varley to be the, consistent number one goaltender to carry the load. So everything is off kilter. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they're waiting for Varley. I think it's pretty clear that that's Roken's going to be the guy this year, um, just on the basis of workload. Um, yeah, I mean, David, do you have, you have a take on that and on, on the goaltending situation? It, it seems pretty clear that they want Sorokin to be that guy this year. No? I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think, you know, with Varley being injured, I don't think they had a choice. And, you know, Sorokin was so good early on that, you know, he, he kind of, he, he took the, uh, you know, the bull by the horn, so to speak. But I, I think when it comes down to it, Trotz really wants a one and one A. I mean, even when it was Leonard and Grice, you know, he wants that back and forth, back and forth. And, you know, I, I think come March and come April, if they actually are still, if they are in the playoffs, I think it'll come down to who's playing the best. You know, I mean, in an ideal world, does Lou Rat would, would they want Sorokin to take it? Yeah, of course. You know, he's younger. Uh, you know, you can let the older veteran kind of peter out once his contract is over. But I'm not convinced that that's going to happen. See, I keep on thinking that it's a chronic injury because this is a team that has constantly gotten Varley back in and trusted him to carry the load and in key times and key areas. And Sororican had sure helped with Pittsburgh, but I don't think that suddenly changed. I think that the, the nagging injury and, and the situation has been kind of dictating it. I guess at the end of the day, it's hard to, climb inside Barry or Lou's head to figure out exactly what they were thinking. But based off of what I've seen in the last couple of years, Phil, I would think that they, Barry really is very comfortable splitting the goaltending duties. Yeah. Yeah, he is. And listen, unless, you know, Sorokin wasn't great tonight. I mean, not, neither was the team in front of him, but certainly that fourth goal, the Hornquist goal, shouldn't have gone in. The third goal, he just completely lost the rebound there, had no idea where it was. I mean, it was a great initial save, but you got you got to be able to, you know, track the puck better and, and find it. And, and the team in front of you also needs to clean up. But 
didn't have a particularly great game tonight. I didn't think he was phenomenal against the Devils either. Some people were saying, oh, he gave up four goals, but he was the best player on the ice. I mean, it's not hard to be the best player on the ice when, when everyone else is playing like crap. Um, but but we didn't see the the same brilliance that he had um, during the seven-game point streak where he easily could have had five shutouts. And, and Trotz made a point of saying that he easily could have had five shutouts, which is why I'm just inclined to think that, that Barry has him as, as his lead horse right now. Um, obviously the, the usage has had to do with the nagging injury as BD alluded to, but if, if it's something nagging where they need to give Arlamov significant stretches of days off in between starts, you're going to see Sorokin take over as the number one, and that's going to carry if they end up getting there into the postseason too. That's, that's my opinion on it right now. Talk about nagging BD. Let's address the defense for a moment. Uh, we had a chance to see Sebastian Ajo for a couple of games, uh, did you like what you saw? What was your take? Well, it's, it's really hard to tell because everything is in such, I mean, look how, look who he's been paired with. Um, you, it is good to see the minutes, you know, it's not a guy that's being used sparingly, it's not something like 12 to 15 minutes. We're seeing him at 20 minutes a clip and, you know, I, I still don't think that um, Trotz seem, has been very reticent to, to use Aho. And there's been some question and some talk, even when I've talked to some people on the Islanders, that seem to feel that Trotz it doesn't, it, they, the Trotz system and the philosophy and how he views, uh, while he might like Aho as a, a young player, does and you gotta also remember this is also a team that's in a win now scenario, and I I don't feel that there's a lot of comfortability, so which makes it so important that Robin Salo really acclimate and play the as well as he's been playing at Bridgeport, because if that's not the case and he doesn't have that leeway, then you know then at least we have other options. Yeah, but I think so far, way, I don't I think, think it's been bad. I, I think the point that BD makes about the minutes is probably the most important thing here. Not and, and less about the way he's played. You know, he's obviously made mistakes, right? I, I stated earlier, I do not think this is a good defensive player. Does he have skill in the offensive zone? He almost had a really neat wrap around that got mucked up, which would have been a really pretty goal. We've seen him snipe on Carter Hart last year. He clearly is, is a talented and skilled player and, and was fairly dominant at the AHL level. Defensively, there's a lot to be desired there. And, and some of that is just physical, his physical skill set. It just, you know, he's he's not built like Pellick and he's not built like Mayfield. But I think the the minutes part there is important um, as it relates to a potential call-up of Robin Salo. Um, you know, people have been saying, oh, he doesn't trust the, the he doesn't trust the rookies. He's not going to give the kids minutes. Well, your number one minute guy the other night was was Sebastian Ajo on the blue line. Right. Tonight, obviously, everyone got a little extra because Mayfield got five in the game mid second period, which, by the way, um, that was a terrible call. Terrible call. I mean, terrible I, call. I, I, I barely thought it was even a two minute penalty. Terrible call, you know, and, and I think the rules analyst was spot on. They went on, on the basis of what they saw with Barkov, right? You've got one of the stars of the game limping off. Hopefully nothing's torn. Hopefully it's nothing major. But when they see Sasha Barkov limping off like that, not under his own weight, um, they're going to go with what's called on the ice. And uh, yeah. I don't know if the refs had a good look at it. I thought the Nelson 
charge call was was absolute crap, and that shouldn't have even been that shouldn't. Have if been anything, it might have been a, that might have been a high elbow, you know, the the, the Nelson one. Maybe I yeah. mean, and they called it back. They you know right. it wasn't a five. They gave him a two when when it probably could have easily been a zero. But you know, if if they're going to be giving other players like Solo look, I think that is important that they get a good look at them. I mean, you know, think about it like this: the defensive alignment going into Saturday night. You know, you've got a pretty decent chance of it looking something like Pelic with with Dobson, which I would love. And I, and they did a lot of Pelic and Dobson tonight, right? People have. He said, well, we, we haven't really given Dobson a really good, proper partner for him to develop with, right? Well, what better partner for him to thrive with, right? Complementary skill sets. How about Pelican Dobson? I think that's something that Barry might be interested in looking at, right? Solo and Mayfield, you know? And then it's just a decision of, you know, are they going to keep Aho in, who, who Barry has been raving about? Um, in the pressers and and sit one of green and and Chara potentially. I'm I'm just curious as to what it might look like. Yeah, I mean for me, I mean the Sebastian Ajo thing is interesting because I mean this is not necessarily a young player anymore. You know, he's going to be 26 in February, and you know you wonder is this just who he is? And I kind of wonder, okay, if we were going to go with Ajo, do we just? I mean, is he basically like an Eric Gustafson? I mean, a similar player who's just, uh, I don't even know what he is. What is he, 5'10", 175 pounds soaking wet? Well, if they list you at 5'10", you're probably not 5'10". Right, exactly. <laughs> it's just, you can just see, it's just like, I, I put on Twitter a couple of videos where just some clips, it just seems a bit, in the defensive zone, he just kind of loses, his, he loses the players he needs to be with. Um, his decision-making, his awareness in the defensive zone are lacking. I wonder, going back to what you just said a few minutes ago, Maybe he would be actually a better winger. It's surprising that at some point in his career, somebody didn't say, hey, could you play wing or even center? He is, uh, I mean, he's a, he's a pretty good playmaker. Um, talking about Dobson for a second, I might go down with the ship because I know he hasn't been great, but I still kind of always maintain, I go, you know, playing defense is not easy in the, in the NHL. And, you know, you don't see that many 21-year-olds just, dominating and I'm wondering if the Islanders if Lou if Barry just put too much on Dobson letting Letty go and I'm wondering maybe he just wasn't ready for a top four maybe he's still a bottom pairing defenseman Um, if Dobson doesn't develop this team's in trouble because we need him he's definitely uh, it's definitely an issue Um, clearly uh, you know I don't remember the quote exactly Uh, I think it was in Jersey when um when Trotz made a quote about Chara and it really made it, you know, that Chara was all about defense and it made me really realize that you can really feel that they were really relying on Dobson coming into the top four. They were really, the, the stage was set. They really thought that that was the next step. And here's the thing with defensemen doesn't always happen automatically. And I don't really think that was the scenario where he was always showing it last year. There was a, you know, there was a, it was a gray area and right now, and, and, and he might still become that this year or maybe not this year at all. And it happens in, you know, down the line, but they are really, they really needed that, and that well, is not uh, yeah. As the team is 
currently built. I mean, bringing Char and bringing Green in, you needed Dobson to make that next step. I, I will, Phil, you'd, you'd know better, this better than me. What was the what was the thought process of the fans thinking when it was Pellick and Pollock early in their careers? I remember when the expansion, when Vegas came in, and it was kind of a surprise that Pellick was even protected, right? And some people were like, why are we protecting this guy? Who is he? And I just, I mean, I just, I just, it's one thing I'm going to keep hammering. Dobson is 21. He's six foot four. He sat, and I'm glad they sat him. I thought he looked a lot better tonight. I thought he brought some physicality to his game. I saw him, you know, make some hits and everything. Yeah, does the guy need to gain 10, 15 pounds? Absolutely. There's no doubt. But I still think that in three or four years, we're going to be pretty happy if Noah Dobson's a New York Islander. Yeah, and and again, back to my original point, and and we we do have an update from Barry this evening with Ooh. on Ryan Pollock, which was that he he does not have any idea as to how long or how short the absence might be, and he will be reevaluated in New York. Which <laughs> would we expect me, anything different? No, but but to me that sounds more more longer term than yeah. shorter term, right? I mean, if you're talking about a a broken something you know usually that's that's a four to six week injury for a defenseman he did come back in the third period so i, I don't think he completely shredded something right they let him right right but, it, but if barry was going to say like i i think he's okay if he was coming back on saturday or or monday right I, I think back to um the end of the vegas game where, where pellick takes a, a shot off the hand and you know, Barry immediately says, oh, it's not a long-term injury. It just stung him. It's just some numbness. Like over here, a, a Barry non-update tells you a lot more than a Barry update does sometimes. And and this is the kind of thing where you could probably pencil in a recall happening on, on Thursday at some point, right? They're going to wait for the last minute because you want to accrue cap space and the fewer players you have up, the more, you know, et cetera. But, um, you know, I, I would be surprised if there wasn't a recall for Saturday night. And you know, let's let's hope they surprise us. Well, let me ask you this then, Phil. I know you know we know that Barry does. He likes to go lefty righty on defense. Whether it's Salo, whether it's Aho, we've got too many lefties in the lineup. Is there a righty in Bridgeport that's ready? No, his 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 righty is is Green. I mean, he uses Green on the right side. If you remember back in the playoffs when Boychuk went down, it was Letty Green for the remainder. Yeah. Right. They only brought the Boych- Boychuk back in when they went with an 11 seven um, alignment. Right. Um, but they, they had green playing his offside um, last year when Dobson went down, it was green back to his offside. Again, their right-hander that would be the next man up in Bridgeport is probably Grant Hutton. And he's, he's not particularly special. So between, you know, thousand and one game, Andy green and, and a Bridgeport player who has zero NHL experience, you're going to see Andy green switch to his right side. I, I would just be curious. I mean, if if they are going to make this call up, who's going to be sitting? That's 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 the interesting question. Because at this right. point, because you're not going to bring Salo up, has to play, right? And you're right because he's the only. We only have two righties. You have two right-handers left. He has to play. But, and and you're Salo, not gonna they're not going to bring Salo up to be the number seven guy. I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think so. I mean, so that's going to be in, that's going to be something interesting to keep your eye on. He used that Salo Mayfield pairing throughout camp. He used them, you know, during preseason for three games rave reviews about him that we've got really something here in this prospect. And he's been a really surprising prospect for us. If he didn't have the waiver exemption and Aho did Salah would have been the guy that made the team instead. Um, but I, I think, you know, fans asked for it and fans are going to get a look at it, whether we like it or not. And, you know, <laughs> you'd rather it not be at the expense of Ryan Pollock. Um, but if, if there's anything to take from this is that we, 
you know, may, maybe we'll find a, a new alignment by the time Polak is ready to come back. And, you know, this team will look more the way it needs to look in order for them to be successful. Yeah, sometimes a reset and sometimes uh, sometimes an injury can be a silver lining. You never know. It, Go ahead, BD. Sorry. Oh, injuries create opportunities. We've seen it happen over and over again. And, I mean, Devin uh, Tays might still be in Bridgeport otherwise. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, and that's also how Dahan had, had come up also years ago. Um, it's an opportunity and the, the Islanders do have some real talent still in the organization for when these things do happen to come up. They still have some talent in there to make that jump. Okay, a couple of things I want to touch on before we uh, we had this podcast go to on too long. You know, we, we we touched on the Ross Johnston extension, and we figured, okay, that was brilliant. What a home run by Lou. Now we're going to send them on waivers, and we're going to bring up panic. It hasn't happened. What, what's going on? I mean, I, I just don't understand. I, I and, and, you know, Kiefer didn't play bad last night. I didn't think – I thought I think he – I still think he's an AHL player, and I'm kind of surprised that in the age of COVID where you might get a last-second scratch, our 13th and 14th forwards are players that Barry doesn't really trust. And if, if that's the case, now that Leo is, in, you know, is, is gone, I'm just wondering, is that what it is? I mean, or is Panic not even on the radar? What's going on here, Phil? Well, I can tell you um... – watching panic in Bridgeport, he, he just hasn't been good. Yes. And, okay. um, and, and sometimes that could be just a, a veteran player who hasn't played in the AHL in many years, like panic, who not you know, motivated. He has some skill. He's been a 20 goal scorer. He just might not be motivated to play. It could be that there was a conversation about the fact that, Hey, the next call up is going to be Goloshev because we don't want to lose this guy to Russia. I mean, think, think about it like this, right? They already lost, you know, you know, not, not that he really mattered that much, but Timoshov left, right? You want to be able to line up five or six depth forwards, right? And Timoshov reports to Bridgeport and then he says, you know what, I'm out of here. I'm going to Europe. And then they wave Leo. And it doesn't seem as if based on the staple article that they wanted Leo to leave, but Leo had no interest in riding the bus anymore. He'd much rather go back to the KHL and now you lose Leo. So you've lost a pretty reliable depth option in Leo. And now if there's talk about Goloshev, who, you know, wants to crack the, the NHL. And, you know, he's been, you know, uh, probably the best forward they have down there. I would think that Goloshev would be the next man up, but I thought Kiefer was good tonight. I thought Kiefer was good against Tampa. Um, I don't think he's going to be a permanent option, but he's the only forward on the ice. I think that wasn't on for a goal allowed tonight. And he had a pretty good dish to Palmieri that got him his first goal of the season. So I think there is something, you know, that, that trots has been liking more about Kiefer's game you know, this year and, and he did, you know, pump him up during camp a lot. Um, whether or not they wave Ross to bring someone up, you know, again, that's an unknown at this point. That's a move that, you know, might not even be made until the off season. It just essentially gave Lou the luxury of, of waving Ross at will if that ever needed to happen. Right. Uh, but that didn't necessarily mean that it was going to happen. BD, are you concerned about Anders Lee? Cause I watch him and listen, I mean, I think we forget, you know, this is a guy who tours ACL, not that long ago, and, he, and he's back, and he's been skating, but from you know my eye test, he doesn't look that good. I mean, he's never gotten by on his skating, but now it just looks like he's a yeah. little bit slower. Maybe. Um, it's one of those things where the same thing where I'm kind of cautious because just trying to weigh this team and the players – 
when everything is just not working right. Um, it's it's something that you know is a question. You know, an ACL. It, it wasn't a small injury, and it and it might take some more time. And it's de- definitely if he's starting off slow, it doesn't mean it's permanent. But um, it's really hard to tell when so many other things are coming to bear across the board. Right, right, right. Listen, so, when, you, when you're when so, you're swimming in a when you're swimming in a pile of shit, it's hard to tell, you know, which is the turd. <laughs> I, I get it. I, I I mean, when everything sucks, it's it's hard, right, Phil? One hundred percent. Yeah. Um. So so what what are we uh what are we expecting over the next four or five games? I mean, are are we glass half full? Are we pessimistic? Do we think we come home and everything is, is okay? Um. I still trust Lou and I trust Barry. I think we figure it out. And I think I, I still think come April, this is going to be a team that's in the mix. And I will tell you from a sports betting standpoint, I bet on Tampa last night. I bet on Florida tonight. I saw that you tweeted and you bet Islanders tonight, Phil. And I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. So I bet on those two teams. But I'm going to tell you right now that I'm going to check out the futures tomorrow. And my guess is the Islanders will probably be like plus 3,000 or plus 3,500 to win the cup. And they started the season at like plus 1,800. I might jump on that because I do think they turn it around. Yeah. And by the way, my bet tonight, I, I had a parlay where um, I, I went with um, the Islanders on the money line. I went with Buffalo on the money line, which yet, and I had Blues minus one and a half, but they lost to the Coyotes somehow. They lost um, the, the Coyotes. Second win for Arizona. Break them up. Second win for Arizona. Yeah, they got a, a Barrett Hayton power play goal from Shane Gostaspear. Hey, that's good news. Up. Barrett Hayton's on my Dynasty Fantasy Hockey team. So, so there it's you about go. time. The Coyotes knocking off a legitimate Stanley Cup contender tonight, right? They beat the Kraken, who aren't particularly good. But um, no, so I lost that bet badly. I mean, listen, I, I you know, whether or not they're going to win the next few games, I, I can't tell you. I mean, they, I've never seen this. This is the poorest I've seen them play since they dropped 11 out of 13 games down the stretch before the COVID pause, right? That, that was, was when, when Pelic and Sezikis were both injured. Pelic was out. Sezikis was out. They lost. They, they Clutterbuck they was out. A couple big I think. Wins. I'm sorry. Was Clutterbuck out as well then? Clutterbuck was out. Yeah, yeah. They, were, they were missing. They were missing a bunch of, of, of key pieces at that point. I mean, most notably Pellick. But, you know, they had big wins against Washington and Philadelphia. And then they went out to the West Coast. They scored two goals in four West Coast games. Right. They got they got mopped out there and then they beat the Sharks and they beat the Red Wings. And Lou made this big home run trade and got Pajo. And then they went on a seven game winless streak. And then COVID happened. And then they got Pellick back and then they were able to go to the ECF. So this is the worst I've seen them play since that 13 game stretch beforehand, all I'll say is they, they need to come out of it, right? They're, they have no other option. They've got a, a slate of, of four home games now before they go on the, the road again to Madison Square Garden. I mean, these, these are games you have to win. You have to be able to, you know, everyone's been saying, well, they're, they're zero and zero at home. That's the most important stat right now, right? One game under 500 on the road, that's not terrible. Zero and zero at home. Like, you got to go three and one. You got to take three out of the next four games. You have to be able to beat up on a team like the Rangers who they had success against last year. You got to be able to, to win nine or 10 out of the next 13 or 14 games in order for them to, to dig out from a better Metro, right? Using last season as a template for what the Islanders are going to be this year is, is, is not good enough. Why? The Devils are better. They were awful last year and, and their whole entire team had COVID for, for a two-week period. Buffalo was was a disaster. They're not in our division anymore. We, we got Columbus instead, and Columbus is better than them, right? Philly was awful, and Carter Hart 
you know, was, was the worst goaltender in the league. Well, guess what? Carter Hart looks pretty damn good right now. And we beat the shit out of the Rangers and the Rangers are winning games right now because they've got a great goaltender. So the division is tougher. We don't have the luxury of being able to play a combined 32 games against four pretty shitty teams. And that's what's going to make this more challenging now. Yeah, and that's BD, that's what concerns me. I, I'm not as concerned about the Calgary game. I mean, it's a home opener, and you, you'd like to come out and win that game. Toronto, obviously, uh, we, we all hate Toronto now, and we want to win that game. But those four games between the 24th and the 30th, the Rangers, Pittsburgh, Rangers again, and then Philadelphia, you know, as Barry Trotz talks about it, those are four-point games. You know, you can't lose those games in regulation. No. Um, but, you know, it made me think something when oh, I was speaking that – Actually, the best scenario, because the thing that I can't get past is the biggest weak areas that the Islanders have is the inability to make offensive transitions stemming from the loss of Letty and the... And the oh, stop with this Letty mess. bullshit. Wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. And the fact that they're not able to create defensively zone exits. So now... Pollock actually being out for a little bit might allow for the defensive pairings to be in such a way so that they can create that, which actually will help the offense. That might be an opportunity for it to really get some of the items that seem to be kind of stalling some and see if they can get some equilibrium. It just made me think that maybe, and this doesn't have to be, Letty was a rep- easily replaceable player. Right, the problem, they is, the problem is we but didn't, they didn't do it. Didn't, yeah, that's the they problem. He's him. an easily yeah. replaceable player that wasn't replaced. That <laughs> wasn't yeah. And replaced. You, needed, you needed someone with, with Letty's skill set, but better than Letty. I mean, if you watched any Detroit games, I mean, tonight he's been awful. I've been watching some of that game. You know, Moritz Cedar has been, essentially carrying Letty's half-dead carcass on his back. He's, he's, not, he's not doing anything particularly well. Analytically, he's one of the worst defensemen in the league right now. Um, it, it, but but the, the skill set that Letty had, right, the ability to, right. you know, sometimes outskate his mistakes, as Trotz would say, right, which is, which is a backhanded way of, of saying, well, you know, he wasn't particularly great, but he was super fast. Um, that is, is, is something that Mayfield needed, and that is something that they need in order to be able to keep Pelican and Pollock together. And, and that is important. And, and hopefully by the time Pollock does get back, whenever that is, they have something sorted out um, with, with, you know, if, if they make the call. Last thing I want to leave you guys with, and I'm, I want your take on it as well. As fans, are we putting too much on Robin Salo? Because we saw what, when Taze came up, Due to injury, we saw the kind of player he became. We're desperate. A lot of us were like cup or bust. And this team desperately needs Robin Salo to be Devin Tays. And the question is, is that too much pressure for, I want to say, what is he, 23? For a 23-year-old who hasn't played in the NHL before. Phil? Yeah, so, I mean, people made the point about, well, he hasn't played before. How many, you know, SHL players come over and play in the NHL? Well, a couple. I mean... You know, let's talk about Moritz Cedar. Now, Cedar is someone who, you know, great pedigree, six overall pick from Detroit a couple of years ago, but he's a couple of years younger than Salo, less pro experience than Salo. And he's come in and he's lit it up in Detroit. You've got Nils Lundqvist, who is the Rangers' top defensive prospect. And he's, I don't know how well he's playing, but but he's playing and he's getting regular minutes. So, 
it's not like it's unprecedented for someone from the Swedish Hockey League to come over and jump straight into the NHL, right? The Islanders had a couple of vets in his way, and they decided that after having a great camp that he's going to go down. I could see it following that storyline. I don't think they're going to ask him to be a Devontae's or ask him to immediately jump up and play top four minutes right off the bat. I think something that he does well, Bridgeport has a pretty competent power play and Salo at times stays out for the entire thing. I mean, he's, he's been the catalyst for that power play, right? The other night he had two points, he had a goal and he had an assist. So I, I think that's an area where he can contribute. He can skate the puck out of danger. He could, you know, he's, he's really, really fast. So he can be that complement to Mayfield if they put him back together, like they had him in the preseason and, and hopefully he gives you, you know, 15 strong minutes a night at five on five and three, four minutes on, on the power play, right? That's, that's really all he needs to do in order to kind of balance out this defense. And ultimately, if it doesn't work, well, as we said before, they've been banking cap space. They have the room to go out and make a move at the deadline or before the deadline if they need to, but at least they need to try this. And, and Pollock now being out is, is the impetus to do so, in my opinion. PD, I'll give you the last uh, the last thought. Well, I'd, I agree with Phil, um, and he's also played. You know, he's played against men. He's he's you know he comes. He's one of those that comes from the Garth era of having skill sets in a bunch of different areas that really seem to lend itself well, like Pellick did, and and Pollock you know, and seems to have a lot more to him than, you know, not he's multidimensional. He's got some opportunity and it, it, and right now the Islanders really do need it. And so far, I don't think the expectation is too high because just him being solid can create equilibrium. And that's what the Islanders really need. They need equilibrium and be able to set their pairings in a better way so that things kind of equalize. And if you get some of that, even if there are some offensive issues with Bailey or Lee still being a little bit slow to start, at least you start to have those pieces in place that they can build on. And that's what they need. They need to have some sort of balance because right now yeah. everything's out of whack. And mind you, again, this is a player who, who probably by all rights earned, earned, this, earned the right to do this out of camp and just given his waiver exemption didn't. Right? So someone pointed out to me today um, who, who knows Lou from Toronto that it's a very Lou style move to take a guy who's, you know, Robin, because of the age he signed that he only had a two-year ELC. So last year they burned the first year. He's in the second year of his ELC. So oddly enough, Robin is in a contract year, right? It gives Lou more leverage when it comes to contract negotiation the summer with Salo, the longer they hold him out, right? So ideally, in a perfect world, Lou Lamorello would not have wanted to have to use this guy till, till game 50. He's being called upon now. And we assume, by the way, we don't know that. No, it's it's just yeah, you know we're assuming. I'm just we're assuming. I just want to make sure that our audience doesn't go. Wait, wait, wait. Salo's up already. We don't know that. What we're no, assuming. we're we're, assume, we're assuming that if someone is going to be getting a call for pull up going on IR, that that is going to be the player that they call upon. It would be it would be it would stand to reason that that's the guy. Yep. Um, 
By the way, uh, Kako got another goal tonight, but I don't care how many goals Kako had. I just keep looking at the the, the, uh, the rookies in Detroit, Lucas Raymond and Cider, and I just keep laughing. It makes me very happy. It makes me <laughs> very, Eiserman very happy. always wins. Eiserman yeah. always wins. Always wins. Uh, hey, that's going to do it for us, guys. We'll, uh, we'll be back, who knows, maybe in a week, maybe in 10 days, whenever we have something to say. Uh, for Phil, for BD, I am David. Thank you so much. Let your friends know about it. If you have any comments, don't be shy. Please reach out to us on Twitter, at Phil's Facts, at BD Goloff. I am at Tuck on Sports. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.